welcome to RBC's Markets in Motion podcast, recorded September 13th, 2022. I'm Lori Calvacina, Head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. Today in the podcast, we update our thoughts on the broader U.S. equity market outlook, as well as bigger picture positioning trades. Three big things you need to know. First, there's no change to our year-end 2022 S&P target of 4,200 or our 2023 EPS forecast of 212, though we have tweaked our 2022 EPS forecast up to 218 from 214. Second, we continue to anticipate choppy conditions through year-end in which stocks are caught in a tug-of-war between deeply bearish sentiment and ongoing concerns about further Fed tightening, its longer-term economic ramifications, and downward earnings revisions. The midterms remain a major headache for stocks, but ultimately may still be a positive catalyst. And third, we continue to prefer U.S. over non-U.S. equities and small over large. We wouldn't be surprised to see the pause in growth leadership persist near-term, but still like growth over value longer-term. If you'd like to hear more, here's another six minutes. While you're waiting, a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and other platforms. Now the details. Let's start with takeaway number one. There's no change to our year-end 2022 S&P price target of 4,200 or our 2023 EPS forecast of 212, though we are lifting our 2022 EPS forecast up to 218 from 214. Our 4,200 forecast is roughly the average of nine different scenarios and backtests that we examined. We come up with a wide range of outcomes, underscoring the complexity of the backdrop this year. Our most optimistic test, which assumes the S&P bottomed in mid-June and sees its typical six-month post-recession bottom rally, puts the index just below 5,000 at year-end. Meanwhile, our most conservative test, which assumes the forward P.E. for the S&P 500 will contract by 17% for full year 22, or the average move in the recent growth scare crisis recession years, anticipates the index will close the year around 3850. Meanwhile, our cross-asset indicators, which look at stocks versus bonds, suggest the index deserves to end the year around 4100. In our earnings forecast, the macro backdrop we're baking in is one in which real GDP growth gets to the brink of contraction in 4Q and 1Q and sees inflation ramping down to the 2-3% to range by the end of 2023. The increase in our full year 2022 number from 214 to 218 is mostly due to better than expected 2Q results. During 2Q, interest expense relative to sales came in significantly lower than we'd expected, while revenue growth and margins both came in a little light compared to what we'd been modeling. Moving on to takeaway number two, we continue to anticipate choppy conditions in U.S. equities through year-end, essentially a tug-of-war between the bearish and bullish narratives in play. Major problems include further downward revisions to earnings, the midterm elections where Democrats are gaining on Republicans in both polling data and betting markets, valuations, which are looking a bit elevated again, Fed tightening, which tends to pressure multiples and hit growth, declines in C-suite confidence, some indicators which are starting to get back to recession-type lows, and likely further deterioration in the economic and labor backdrop. But we are also mindful that the S&P tends to bottom in major crises while earnings forecasts are still falling. We also think it's more likely than not that the Republicans will take at least one chamber of Congress in November, which should be good enough for markets. On valuations, we point out that they're still well below past peaks and the substantial contraction already took place at the mid-June lows. We also see evidence that corporate balance sheet strength is providing a cushion to EPS, as we just discussed in our earnings model commentary, and have done some work suggesting that the stock market is baking in a material deterioration in the labor market already.
Supply chains are also improving. Inflation expectations have peaked, and high-frequency economic indicators are either stable or improving. Additionally, employment indicators like claims and layoff announcements have calmed down. These are all keeping the deeply bearish narratives in check. Overall, we feel more neutral than bullish or bearish right now. Whenever we're tempted to get more cautious, images of our main sentiment indicators pop into our heads. Retail investors have felt as bad as they did at the depths of the financial crisis, and institutional investor positioning in U.S. equity futures has actually been a little worse than what we saw during the financial crisis, on par with 2015-2016 lows. When sentiment gets this bad, it's usually time to buy. Wrapping up with takeaway number three. In terms of positioning, we continue to prefer U.S. over non-U.S. equities, think the pause in growth leadership over value may persist a little while longer, but do still like growth longer term, and continue to see small caps over large caps as our highest conviction call. On U.S. non-U.S., even though we think U.S. equities are likely to keep benefiting from safe haven treatment for a bit longer, we have grown concerned about valuations as U.S. equity valuations are starting to get back to peak relative to non-U.S. equities again. So we think this trade bears watching very, very closely. On style or growth versus value, we've been talking about how the growth trade was starting to look crowded again at the end of the summer based on CFTC data on NASDAQ futures positioning for asset managers. The unwind has started but hasn't fully played out, and this could keep some pressure on the growth trade in the very short term. But longer term, we do continue to prefer growth over value due to its higher quality status and the tendency of growth to outperform value when real GDP is tracking below 2%. We think that's the likely price to pay for a short, shallow recession. And small caps over large caps remains our highest conviction call. As we've discussed before, small caps typically start to outperform large cap midway through recessions and when the unemployment rate starts to move up. We also believe a recession was baked into small cap performance well in advance, as is typically the case. Positioning in small cap by asset managers in the futures market has been well below financial crisis lows. Russell 2000 performance over the past year has been consistent with a spike in jobless claims beyond what has already materialized. And Russell 2000 performance relative to the S&P over the past year resembles what one would expect to see if we'd already seen ISM manufacturing drop to typical troughs. And not to mention valuation, the forward PE of the Russell 2000 also ended August at around 11 times, the low end of its historical range. We have gotten some questions about why small caps ended the summer on a sour note. We think this is because earnings revision trends stopped favoring small over large as they had back in the spring. That's all for now. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check out our sister podcast, RBC's Industries in Motion, for thoughts on specific sectors from RBC's team of industry analysts. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.